Welcome to Impersonal Opinions. I'm Mitch J, and I'm here with Chandler Klebs, George Ortega, David Joseph, and Mike Walsh. Today we're going to talk about morality. All the, the different models for morality, if there's any reason why we should do moral things, and what framework should people use, or should we just be amoral? Now, um, I suppose I should start this by giving a little bit of a background. Uh, maybe we can go around and every person can contribute um, to this, these initial definitions. So classically, academically, morality is often split into three different philosophies. There's the idea that the thing you do itself, you can determine whether it's good or bad. And that's the deontological framework. Then there's consequentialism. You need to examine what impact the thing you did had in some regard. If overall it did a better thing than a worse thing, then that's a good thing. And finally, there's virtue ethics, the character of the person that's doing the action. Is that person uh, overall a good person? Does that person intend to do something good or intend to do something bad? So does anybody want to chime in before I start um, yeah, expressing let my me own opinion? Let me start, yeah. Um, basically, John Locke defined goodness as that which creates happiness. So this is kind of like a consequentialist approach. But I think, you know, you know, we have to like, I don't think it's one or the other. And I think the, um, the third option, uh, the character option, is part of it. So in other words, like, if somebody, for example, does something that creates a lot of good, but their intention was to create a lot of evil, then can we, you know, truly consider that that act as good, you know? So like, so basically, I think we have to, you know, in a certain objective general sense, yes, what, what, um, what creates happiness, pleasure is what we can define as good. But in terms of like a good act, you know, then I think we have to also, um, you know, factor in intent. Um. Well, here's an interesting thought. I think what, what George just brought up is there can be a difference. An action um, may cause good even if the intentions are bad, or the intentions could be good even if the, the actions turn out to cause bad. So, so, in, so the intentions of the person and the outcome are not always the same, and I think that's important to think of. True. Another thing is that uh, you may not uh, be aware of your the consequences of your actions there, there are always things called uh, unintended consequences you know for example suppose you and i are good friends and i invite you over to my house and i say you know what i got a salad in my fridge and uh, i'm, I'm going to make you a, a terrific lunch so i make you this terrific lunch and you eat it and you get sick and you die and un, unbeknownst to me there was an ingredient in that salad that you were allergic to and you died so i had the best of intentions I wanted to make you a meal, and we're going to bond and hang out. And as a consequence of that, you get food poisoning or you have an allergic reaction and you die. So that's something that can happen. And uh, it throws a little monkey wrench into, into consequentialism. Because in that, se in, that, in that case, we generally wouldn't consider uh, me having done that bad, even though the consequences are the worst thing possible. I mean, someone dies as a result of it. But my intentions were good. But something bad happened as a result, but I had no idea that was going to happen. That's a very good point, Michael, because basically just because somebody died as a result of you making the salad does not mean you're a homicidal salad maker. 
All right, guys, I, I want to, yeah, um, with the intent things, like, you know, like, so let's say we, we consider it, um, you know, based on intent. I think the intent thing also has the, 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 the weakness that it then, like, what, how are we defining the intention as good as bad? In other words, only exactly. answers one part of it. So, so Mitch, yeah, I want to hear from this you. This is that. where deontology comes from. So this is, this is where, this is why I try to associate myself. I think a lot about morality. And I sort of have a lot to say on the issue. I'm sure you guys have a lot to say as well. So hopefully we can have a, a great discussion. But I'm one of those guys that thinks he has it all figured out. So let's see, let's see where we can get today. All right. So here's the idea. No matter what framework you take, you're still gonna, you're still eventually going to have this dilemma. If you're a consequentialist, once the action has happened and, you've, uh, and you're trying to analyze what the consequence has been, what the impact of that action has been, you have to be able to assess whether the thing is good or bad. So in Mike's, in Mike's example, you have a friend who did something that was really bad, but didn't intend to do a bad thing. Well, why is that thing bad? Why is it bad that your friend is sick or dead? Why is that bad? So you need to have a way to assess particular states of being to say this is good or this is bad. If you're a consequentialist, if you say A leads to B, and A is a good action because B is good, then logically you need to have a way to assess that B is good. So you need fundamentally a way to assess certain states. So de the deontologist just says, yes, but that's all you need. You see, morality is a dogma, right? Of whether you're a religious person or a secular person, at some point you have to say, this is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do. That's the only way it can possibly work. Some people say a moral action is an action that moves away from pain and suffering. Some people say a moral action is an action that leads to the betterment of humankind. But in either case, there's no real satisfactory reason to not cause pain and suffering or to struggle for the human race to survive. So at some point you have to say, this is the kind of framework that I'm going to use and I don't have a sufficient reason why, but this is sort of what I'm doing. So, Mitch, let me make sure I understand here. You're basically saying that we don't really, like, have a justification for the dogma of morality that we have. Like, we can't really say with absolute certainty that any one person's right, can we? Well, what, I, what I'm saying is, there, what I'm saying you can say, you can take a particular action based on a particular framework and determine whether that action is right or wrong. What you can't say is, why should I do the right thing? There's never a set, there's utilitarian reasons, for example, of practical reasons for why you should do something. But there's, but it's, but religion, but morality itself is a dogma. There is never a satisfying reason for why you should be moral in the first place. But well, once you've established a moral framework, you can certainly be consistent within that framework. Right, Mitch, no, I, I would say, you know, you're asking, is there um, a reason why we should be moral, you know, fundamentally? And I think the reason is, is biological. In other words, like, we're hardwired to seek pleasure and avoid pain. That's a basic drive. We're, we're designed that way. So right, but even if we're designed that way, we don't have to do that. I'm saying eventually you get to a point where you say, let's do this. Like you say out of design. You say we're designed this way. So let's follow our design. Well, there's no reason to follow your design. 
at some point you have to be dogmatic and say, we're following our design or we're going to be efficient. We're going to move away from this. We're going to move towards this. So, so, so here's my issue, right? People, when they attack deontology, and I would love for you guys to jump in right after I say this, um, sometimes they propose moral dilemmas and they go to the deontologist and they say, hey, here's the moral dilemma. In this situation, wouldn't you act more like a consequentialist? And I would just say, look, morality is a dogma. Generally speaking, I try to do what I think is the good thing, but there are other reasons to do something. I might do something because it's inexpensive. I might do something because I care about, because, I don't know, because I have other ulterior motives. I'm not right, necessarily but- always doing the moral thing. That's what people want from morality that I think is the big misunderstanding. Well, people Mitch, think, yeah, go ahead, please. Uh, yeah, we understand that. Like, <laughs> right, we understand that, yes, sometimes we may not do the best thing or we may, like, have to choose the, between the lesser of two evils or something. But even in those actions, aren't we still recognizing that, like, the morality still exists even though we're, we're choosing to do otherwise? Right. So, so from my point of view, I would say, like, uh, Given a moral dilemma, like uh, what's the one that's usually uh, posed? The, um, the the trolley problem is probably the most famous one. Yeah, but how about the the Nazi one? I think is probably very okay, convenient. Yeah, so let's do that. I've, one. I've, so, I've never I've never heard that one. So if you could. Um, so this um, is the one where the you know Nazi soldiers come at the door. You're hiding Jews in the attic. You can either lie to save the lives of those Jews, or you can tell the truth, but then those people are hurt or killed. Well, clearly, I would lie. But what I'm saying is I recognize the fact that I'm lying. I don't pretend like what I'm doing is good. I'm doing a bad thing, so I won't do another bad thing. And you can even argue that the other thing is worse than that or whatever. But that's the point. The point is a lot of times of morality, where I, where I differ with a lot of people, where my stance, uh, where we come into opposition, is that I think it's inescapable. Morality is not like a switch. It's not like you just press a switch and you always do the good thing. And as long as you pick the right outcome, you can live guilt-free and everything's okay. From my perspective, you create, you have a moral framework based on whatever reason, and you should strive to do the moral thing, but sometimes you just don't do the moral thing because you have moral dilemmas and it's inescapable. Wait, wait, uh, Mitch... Uh... Maybe I, I lost a little bit, but are you telling me that in, in the Nazi situation, you would be honest and tell the Nazi that there were Jews in your, your home? No, I would lie, but I would recognize that lying is bad. That's all I'm saying. I oh. wouldn't pretend like I lied, but it's a good thing because of the alternative. But wait a minute. Can we, can we see lying there as contextual? In other words, like to lie, to kind of like get a raise or something or to get money, whatever, might be a bad lie. But to lie to save people's lives from evil people would be a good lie that, that actually wouldn't be immoral in any sense. This is exactly what I'm against, that kind of thought process. I say so no. You're, I you're, argue saying no. That lying, lie. you're saying that lying is bad regardless, even when it produces good results. Yes, of course. And Let's think about the logic behind this. So from the consequentialist, I mean, as hard determinists as most of us are, because we're usually talking about free will, right? We recognize that things are constantly happening on a cellular level, on a microscopic level, on a, on a subatomic level, on every kind of level. You know, when I, 
when my hand brushes through the air, all kinds of unintended things are happening right now. There's no way logically to conceive all the implications that any action will have. You can do an action and think it does the most good, whatever that means. But everything I'm doing is constantly affecting the things that will happen. That's what determinism is about. Things are constantly moving and shifting and changing. I punch someone in the face. It makes 100 people laugh in China. It makes 1,000 people cry in Yugoslavia. It makes one person happy. It makes another person angry. You see, you see the point that I'm making? We can't conceive of, we, we don't know the chain of events. We, so it doesn't really make any sense to say we can plausibly assess the impact of an action. Well, what Mitch, does I, make sense is to assess the action itself. I agree with you. In other words, like, I, I, let me hear, if, 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 what, are you saying that like, yes, there is an objective morality, right and wrong, but because we can't see, you know, the, the consequences of what happens, we can't really, you know, be in any way completely sure that what we're doing is either right or wrong in the, in the long run or, or most expansively. That, that, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. Let me make sure I understand this, is that because we're unable to fully know what the consequences of, of our actions, there's no way you can fully know them, then perhaps there are different reasons than the consequences why we might consider something good or bad? Yep. That's new. Well, I mean, all right, uh, there's this parable. Um, three, three guys go to this wise man in the village and they want to know if, like, this, this boy um, was given a horse. And they want to know, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? So the, the wise man says, wait and see. So the, the, the boy's riding the, the horse, falls off, breaks his arm. They go back to the wise man. Oh, it was a bad thing. You know, he, he's got a broken arm now. And the wise man says, wait and see. So, like, the region is then thrust into war. The kid, you know, has got a broken arm. He can't go off to war. Everybody else gets killed. He gets saved, you know, and they go back to him. Oh, it was a good thing. Wait and see. So, Mitch, that's your point, right? So we That's very good. Able... I like that. So that's... <laughs> this, exactly. is new, this is a totally new idea to me, guys, because I always fall more on the side of consequentialism, but I'm starting to see how that is not foolproof because of our inability to know fully the outcome. Hmm. Well, here's here's my, my take on, on normative ethics. Okay. First, first, I'm generally more uh, interested in metaethics, which is the more fundamental question. Normative ethics kind of exists on one level above metaethics. Can you describe but, the difference, um, Michael? Metaethics is what morality is. Like, uh, what is goodness? Uh, what can tell me what is uh, right from wrong or what is good from bad? Normative ethics is one level above that. Like once you've settled on a meta-ethical theory framework as your foundation, then one level above that it comes your normative ethics, which is what should I do right. given my meta-ethical framework. Right. Um, the thing is, when it comes to normative ethics, you've got your three main contenders, consequentialism, deontology, and virtue ethics. I think none of them are... Um, fit and work in every single problem. And so what I, what I, my, my view, and this is a view of a lot of other philosophers, is that 
uh, all of them have some major problems with it, and you cannot be a subscriber to one or the other. And so what you have to do, given moral dilemmas that we face, is you have to use the toolbox approach. So for example, a wrench is a tool. It works great fixing some problems, but is completely useless fixing other problems. And just like how a wrench is in that situation, deontology, consequentialism, virtue ethics, they each have certain moral situations where they work great in, but they're totally useless and possibly even immoral in other situations. And so what you have to do is you have to use all three of them given the situation. Certain situations, consequentialism makes sense, you use consequentialism. Certain situations, deontology makes sense, you use that. Certain situations, virtue ethics makes sense, you use that. And you use the toolbox approach because otherwise you're going to eventually be stuck in a, a, a conundrum because morality is a little bit more than about just theory. It's about practice. And so if you're a deontologist in theory, but then you're saying, well, in practice, I'm really a consequentialist, then are you really a deontologist? Because it seems to me that if you're going to have a, a, you know, a theory that you live by, but you're not going to put it to practice, then what good is your theory? Well, Michael, I agree with you completely. Now, my question is that, like, you know, uh, assuming that these three, you know, standard kinds of positions are flawed, does what you're describing, does this toolbox approach have a, uh, a technical term, an ism term? You know, because uh, that... I'm not sure if it has a it has an ism to it, because it, it it you know it, it certainly makes sense it you know so because yeah. so that then it would be like there would be four and and that one would be the most rational yeah that yeah yeah because I mean every every normative ethic ethical uh, theory that exists out there has its pros and cons and you simply at least in terms of when it comes to in practice what you're going to live by. You can't live by either one of them. You have to mix and match. You have to just like just like when you have a a, a bicycle or, or a car that's broken, you can't bring a wrench or a screwdriver and think you're going to fix it. You got to bring the whole toolbox. Well, Mike, let me pose a, a question to you then. What do you want from morality? So I guess I, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I think you're making a lot of sense here. I guess what I'm really pushing against is the idea that what morality gives you. It, it's that that you're supposed to pick a moral framework, all right? And then within that moral framework, it's supposed to tell you what to do in any situation. But if you're saying it has to be a toolbox, if you have to pick the right tool, then you're not using morality to determine what to do. You're using something else because you're saying at some point you have to make a decision, which tool do I pick? Yeah, so what exactly. are you using to pick the tool? Huh. Well, that leads into that leads into metaethics because it's the level below. If you look at uh, you know a morality or ethics as a building, metaethics is the foundation. Normative ethics is like the first floor, um, and applied ethics is kind of like the second floor, roughly. You know that's the way it goes. You know in 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 order. And, uh, so, in terms of normative ethics, what I use to determine what normative ethical theory I'm going to think best works in any given situation for me is my is my meta-ethical meta uh, framework. And so since meta-ethics touches on what morality is fundamentally, I mean, look, when it comes to meta-ethics, I'm an ethical naturalist. So ethical naturalism is technically under the, it's a cognitivist position 
and it's under moral realism. And I'm not completely crazy about moral realism. I'm not really crazy about any kind of realism in general, whether it's uh, mathematical realism or, 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 or any of these other views. Although I am kind of uh, um, uh, keen on, on scientific realism. But aside from that, I'm an ethical naturalist. And to me, uh, as an ethical naturalist, what, moral, what morality is, is, to me, is generally understood as, well, well, first of all, let's define a couple of things first, all right? Morality is defined as the distinction between right and wrong, right? And ethics is the branch of philosophy that deals with morality, which is the distinction between right and wrong. So meta-ethically speaking, to me, morality is the distinction between, between right and wrong as it relates to conscious beings, with right actions being those that positively affect conscious beings or intend to, and wrong actions being those that negatively affect conscious beings or intend to, when it cannot be reasonably avoided. So that's the framework I use when I'm trying to decide what normative ethical framework I apply in any given situation. Do you, are you of the opinion that you should always do the moral thing? Um, generally, yes. But not generally, I mean always. Um, should, yeah, of course. You, you should do I'd that. I'd agree. Um, yeah, I'm a little confused. I because... mean, it's going way too fast for me. But I'm, <laughs> I'm actually kind of trying to figure out um, if there is a moral framework which encompasses the other commonly known moral frameworks to make a, a framework toolbox that works for all situations. That's, well, a, that's think... a good question. Uh, when it comes to normative ethics, uh, it isn't that, that all three of those theories fit into one meta-ethical framework. You can actually kind of mix and match. Uh, so, for example, consequentialism can work in, in moral realism, and it could, it could, it could work in uh, even divine command theory. In deontology, it could work in divine command theory, or it could work in moral realism. It's it's uh, it's very complicated, but it, it's not that one necessarily uh, logically requires the other. All right, so let's see if we can come up with maybe three components of what's required for morality. Um, one, I think, intent. I think you can't exclude intent because I, I'm not sure you can call a moral act something that leads to you know some positive um, you know human behavior when the intent was negative. You know. Um, the other, I think, is contextual. Um, like you're saying, Michael, like, you know, the, a, a right response in one situation may not be a right response in another. Like, for example, lying is generally, you know, considered a, a, a good thing. But to tell where the Nazis were, the, the people are, I think it would be a bad thing. And then the third is... But, but why oh, wait, wait, wait. Why you got that Yeah. It's generally a bad thing. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Sorry, all right. Sorry, I'm sorry about that. So, yeah, all right. Lying is generally a, uh, a bad thing. Right. I, I, was, I, I, was, I was thinking I was talking about telling the truth. But, all right, so like, lying is generally a bad thing, but when it comes to telling Nazis, it's a good thing. All right, so like, that's the second. The third is, I think, the hedonic component. That, that basically underlying intent and underlying context comes the fundamental criteria of whether this is going to create more benefit for human beings, you know, or, or less. And as Mitch, as you were saying before, we can't know for sure what that's going to be. But it's, so it's based on our prediction. 
you know. So then, can we can we agree that we have these three criterias: intent, context, and hedonic um, goal? Are, 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 is there are there other criteria that would fit in? Um, but but, but in, here's the issue: I don't know why this has to be such a binary kind of thing. That's that's really my major. That's really the major point of uh, conflict that's here. Okay, it's like, again, as 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 Mike alluded to, right? You have to still have to pick the wrench. You still have to pick the wrench. This is the real, this is the real problem. You, like George, the way you phrased it, you said that lying is usually good. No, 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 no. That lying is usually bad. No, lying <laughs> is always bad. Lying is well, always bad. Just wait, because you just because you don't lie. Does it necessarily? In other words, okay. Here's 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 the idea. Since we are creating morality, we want morality to be something. That that's from my perspective. This is what I'm thinking about. Okay, I want morality to. Um, morality is supposed to be something that humans intu intuitively understand. There's something we intuitively understand, and we want morality to be that thing. We want a, a moral framework that reflects our desires and intentions. That's what, that's what we want. So, for example, if I have a moral framework that allows me to torture people under, circum under certain circumstances, I don't want that. That's not what I mean by morality. If the way we have defined morality allows for torture in any circumstance to be called a good thing, that's we're missing the we're missing the point. So more, if if we have accurately made a uh, an intelligent, thorough moral system, whether on the normative ethical side or on the meta ethical side, whatever, it has to mirror that idea. It has to reflect that idea that torturing anyone under any circumstance is a bad thing. If our morality allows us to do that then we fail, in my opinion. All right, Mitch, I think we have to go back a step. In other words, like, you know, we're trying to determine we're back at the normative, um, you know, consideration. You say that, that lying is always bad or always well, wrong. Well, well the, the point I'm trying to make is what are we doing? When we're, so morality is a construction, right? We are, will, we are doing this. We are creating morality. I think we can agree there, right? I, I don't know if there – I mean, you, get, you could argue against it, of course, but – I'm just well, saying. I, I think I think, there, I think there's a morality we're, we we're maybe discovering, like the morality. It's like ba basically this this exploration we're we're having is based on logic, right? So logic will kind of like lead us to certain um, understandings that that you know ideally or in a certain sense existed, whether we understood them or not. But 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 my point is, when people have different kinds of moral frameworks, they are trying to devise a system that accurately describes what they want for morality, right? Words only have meaning if there is some kind of action or concrete idea behind them. There has to be something we're talking about. So again, just, just to reiterate, the, one, the last thing I'm going to say uh, for, for the time being is that from my opinion, right, from my perspective, any idea of morality that allows for torture to be called a good thing in any circumstance is a failure. That is not a moral system 
that's worthy of using. So that's the that's the, that's the point I'm trying to make. Well, let me let me run back the the Nazi scenario again. Okay. Since since on deontology, telling the truth is good and um, lying is bad, regardless of the consequences. Under the the hypothetical Nazi scenario, if the person answering the door tells the Nazi officer uh, the truth that there are Jews hi hiding in the in the bedroom and the, they they all get sent to the gas chamber, you know, five six people, whatever, um, would that truth telling incident have been technically good under deontology? Well, I mean, I I, I think it's probably unfair to call what I'm talking about deontology because that's a really large umbrella as you alluded to earlier I'm just saying this particular um, opinion I have is certainly closely connected to the deontological framework but there are elements of consequentialism my point is in that situation if you told the truth if you told the the SS guy that uh, that uh, the Jews are in the attic then telling the truth would be a good thing, but endangering the Jewish people would be a bad thing. You simply cannot escape moral dilemmas. That's all. I, the, that's the point I'm making. There's just no way to escape it. I have several thoughts on this whole Nazi and Jew hiding thing. Um, Please, because I've heard this countless times in discussions about morality, and because I'm the you know honesty is the best policy guy, um, and I've and people have told me about this dilemma. I've I've laid awake at nights thinking about this particular thing, um, and so because of my idea that honesty is the best policy, the idea that um, like let's say I got into that situation and let's just say hypothetically that I did lie to protect the Jews. Well, then I would be by that action would be admitting that honesty is not the best policy or the top priority, but that there's a higher priority that I have that I think is the best policy instead of the honesty. So that's what I'm getting at is that what our top priority is, I think is what makes our, our moral framework where it comes from. So that's I, Chandler, I agree. And that's that's why I'd want to challenge, you know, the statement, you know, in other words, or or, or explore why would we conclude that um, that lying is wrong because um, Mitch and this is addressed to you because you, you're using that yeah, yeah. Um, sure you're using that premise to then conclude then like that some acts like lying to the um, Nazis is both right and wrong. So no 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 it's not no no it's not both right and wrong. It, so so let me just clarify this really clearly. Here's the idea. More so from my perspective, morality allows you to assess whether our particular action is good or bad. But, where moral, but, but what morality can't tell you is whether you should be moral. And also, you can have moral dilemmas. So I'm saying people want too much from morality. People think of morality as a way to, as, uh, as some system that always tells you what to do. I'm saying morality doesn't tell you what to do. My moral system doesn't tell you what to do. It just tells you what's a good thing and what's a bad thing. Furthermore, you could even assess the degree of uh, the, how good or bad two independent actions are. But don't delude yourself and think you've considered all the possible consequences. So you can't isolate 
um, a particular event to two particular actions, and you can take a particular action and determine the degree of good or bad it is, but you can't determine the consequence of it, and you don't necessarily know what to do. You don't necessarily do the moral thing. Right. As, well, Mitch, as Mike said actually, before, right. you don't so know like, what, what tool to use. Right. On in the first in the first case, and you're saying that. Um, all right, basically, like drawing from this like toolbox, you know, we can put kind of like a, a wrench into this. Um, that, like, according to the Greeks, the Greeks kind of like um, had a statement that, like, at the time that we're doing anything, no human being can do but what they consider is the right thing at the time of the doing. So, like, now to, to uh, relative to what you're saying, I think I agree with you completely. Um, morality can only at best ever be a prediction. In other words, we're, pre we're predicting what we believe is going to lead to the best outcome. But again, I wanted to get back to like, you know, this, this idea of, you know, if we're considering lying, you know, like in your example, you said like, so I'm not going to use the terms that, that lying is both right and wrong, but like you, you said that, that, you know, you know, in the, the German thing, like, all right, Basically, most fundamentally, why are we concluding, um, if we are, that, that lying is wrong? What is it about lying that makes it quote-unquote wrong? Because this is important, because this, this gets to the foundation of why we're considering something right or wrong. Well, in, in particular, uh, for, for, from my system, I, I'm of the opinion of the pain and suffering argument. So good act a good action, generally speaking, is not even generally speaking, strictly speaking is going away from pain and suffering. Bad actions move toward pain and suffering. But my framework allows for a lot of ambiguity, as you can tell. So, so my, my issue, my issue with, um, with moralists is that they are trying to find a way to always know what to do in a particular situation. I'm saying a particular situation can be rife with different actions that are good and bad and different degrees of good and bad. And it is impossible to assess the impact that any particular action will lead to. The only thing we can do is assess whether our particular action is good or bad. For example, Mitch, I, 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 I'm, right. I'm following you with that, but I, I want to go before that. Cause like, I think, right. you know, before you said that you, your premise, I want to understand why you can, you said that like lying is bad because it's moving towards this direction of pain and suffering. Lies and lies lying itself is a bad action. Yes. All right, but wait a minute, and that's what I want to explore. In other words, like for example, like if you lie to the Nazis, then that seems to be moving into a good direction. Nah, but, you know. But again, but okay, but not hold on. Like I said, this is not consequentialist. This is just assessing the event. A lie itself. Is a bad thing. No, I know. Regardless I know, but, but then my, my, what I'm challenging, Mitch, is like, why do we conclude that lying, you know, is 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 like, you know, will lead us to to? It's a not. Worse it's not a conclusion. It's an It's a. It's an assumption beforehand. It's an. It's an element. It's an. It's axiomatic. It's part of this, right? So there's certain actions that lead towards pain and suffering. So in my framework, torture is wrong. Lying is wrong. Because lying is dishonest, dishonesty creates this kind of blah. I mean, Chandler could talk to you about this too. I'm sure he's very passionate about honesty. Yes, I, I could spend a week talking about why we should be honest. That's no, but that's that's important because this honesty is an example of and, and a very concrete example 
of like what we're considering right and wrong and why. Well, because, guys, like, I, I, I want to talk about this honesty thing for a little bit because here's the thing is while I've had this belief that honesty is the best policy for longer than I can remember, um, I guess it gets a little bit difficult when trying to explain why I believe that honesty is the best policy. So I'm really trying to examine that in light of this thing because while I don't feel while I I don't feel that I'm capable of lying, you know, um, I'm wondering can I really tell somebody that they did something bad when they lied to save the life of the Jews? So that's uh, has anybody ever seen that movie, The Invention of Lying? No, it's a it, it's a world where no one lies. And it's a pretty grim world because everyone is so brutally honest. And we all know that there are certain, at least social situations, where you may not want to reveal the honest contents of your mind in, in a certain situation to other people. And I'm not exactly sure that if deontology was put to practice and no one ever lied, that we'd live in a world that is uh, removed from suffering. I think you'd probably have a world where there's actually a lot more suffering. I strongly disagree with those statements. Well, yeah, Mike, is... Michael, I'm not sure because, like, you know, for example, let's say the movie was about like people going around in first world countries naked. You know, that movie would pre 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 present a lot of problems where in other parts of the world, you know, people are naked or half naked or whatever, and they get accustomed to it and it works. So, you, you know, you know, so one of the many reasons why lying is bad is because lying is a is necessary to do a lot of other bad actions. It's really difficult to set up a murder when you're going to tell the person you're going to murder. <laughs> it's really difficult to rob a store when you tell the store owner you're going to rob him. It's really difficult when you're driving recklessly and an officer pulls you over and says, have you had anything drink? Have you, have you, you know, did you drink anything alcoholic tonight for you to tell the truth and for that, not, that conflict not to get resolved? So, but, you know, but despite that, I, you know, even, you, you know, we can talk about why you should be honest at a different time, but if you accept that lying is bad um, axiomatically, the same way that you would, I'm sure, would accept torture is bad, right? Like we have to axiomatically uh, accept that pain and suffering is bad. Yeah, Eventually, but no, the yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But Mitch, are the the reason you're you're um, we're agreeing that torture is bad and pain and suffering is bad, whatever, because it 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 creates pain and suffering, whereas like lying. Is, is different in the sense that it may actually create you might like a woman tells you do you like my new dress you might think it's horrible but you tell her it's beautiful she feels good yeah again <laughs> but you're, you're sort of cheating in this conversation because you were going back to consequentialism right because then i could say well pain and suffering could be good because it could lead to this the whole point is to avoid well no no wait a minute. this no, consequentialist wait. viewpoint the, the, the consequentialism has all also always has to be considered relative to this hedonic, you know, imperative. In other words, like, you can't ever say that, like, you know, that, um, that, that, um, that suffering is good. I think categorically we have to, that's the premise, I think. In other words, like, you know, in terms of, like, a moral, a fundamental moral right and wrong, um, happiness is, pleasure is good, and, and suffering and unhappiness is, 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 is bad or wrong. 
I mean, but but I, I you know I don't think I think that's the only kind of fundamental criteria of morality that would then would apply to to everything. I don't think consequentially you could claim that that happiness is is um is wrong. I mean, like unless I mean. I, I just mean you're slipping into consequentialist arguments here. I'm, I'm saying, look, okay, so for example, so let's say we try to, so let's, let's say we try to be axiomatic here. So we say, what's the root? So let's, let's create a moral system right now, okay? Let's say the worst thing anyone could ever do to another person is to torture that person forever. I'm purposely being ambiguous about the specific type of torture the degree of torture, and the length of, well, the length of time I'm being very clear about, forever. But the other parts, I'm not saying if it's physical or psychological, okay? So the worst thing a person could do to someone else is torture that person forever. I think a lot of people would agree with that. And even if you're not agreeing, it's, it's an axiom. So we're starting our moral framework that way anyway, okay? Now, actions that go in that direction towards pain and suffering, are bad. Actions that move away from that are good. So what are some actions other than specifically hitting someone with a metal ruler that we can say move toward pain and suffering? I would argue lying is one of them. Dishonesty in general leads towards pain and suffering. It is a bad thing. It is not a good thing. But to Mitch, do. I mean, like cutting somebody right. open, you know, we could argue as a as a bad thing, but like surgeons cut people open all the time to like for very good reasons. Again, we're we're slipping back to the consequentialism thing. I'm saying but, let's start the framework that way. So we're we're starting with this assumption. But I think the, uh, we're getting back to what Michael um, was. So cutting was... so so in my system, right? Cutting someone open, that action itself of cutting someone open, not a bad thing. How much pain and suffering is caused by cutting someone open? What is, does, does that, you can talk about the pain and suffering related to cutting someone, right? But that is not a bad thing, right, in itself. It would be the pain caused by cutting or something. Right, that's why I think we have to, like, um, right. consider this in terms of an equation. Like, uh, Jeremy Bentham measured, uh, said the, the measure of goodness is what creates the greatest happiness for the greatest number or it's like okay. more, more simplified you know if you do an act and like the act is going to create some pleasure and some pain if it ultimately creates more pleasure than pain then would we have to conclude that it's a moral act but it's impossible for us to evaluate all of I the agree. consequences so i i don't really I get so I'm, I'm just talking about evaluating action so for example we could just we could just dogmatically right? Write a list of good things and bad things. That would be better than consequentialism. That's the argument I'm making. I'm saying, just dogmatically saying lying is bad. Because you'll never have a satisfactory reason, right? I can give you some reasons for why lying is bad. And you can keep on saying, why? 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 Infinite regress. Yes. And <laughs> we'll eventually get to a point where I can't give you an explanation. I'll have to we'll go back to the root where I say this causes pain and suffering. And then you could argue, well, I don't see how it would cause pain and suffering in this situation. And then I would say, well, you're slipping into consequentialism. I don't care about situations. And we're just going to talk around and around in circles. Well, I know, but, but are you rejecting Michael's toolbox approach that consequentialism actually is a, is a better um, um, 
uh, rule, whatever, for, for morality than, than um, the other systems in some cases. Because you're, uh, you're categorically... Well, well like I said, I said, I mean, clearly the framework I'm presenting, it has elements of consequentialism, a little bit. I think it's a lot more deontological than consequentialist. But certainly there are some subtle elements of it, right? Because even to assess a particular action, there is sort of a, even in a limited perception, there is, in, in a small neighborhood, there is a sort of consequentialism to it. It's just a, a narrow neighborhood of consequentialism, as well, opposed to saying what does the greatest good overall, which I think is really illogical. I don't. All think right. So then, how are you how are you distinguishing that. between the rational, justifiable consequentialism and the one that you're rejecting? As, well, as, I'm not as, saying not that. Easy. I I am saying consequentialism fails, and the the kind of moral framework that humans desire, what we need, what we require out of morality really requ requires a lot more deontological elements to it. We need well, this kind of system. You're, you're agreeing with Michael's, Michael's toolbox. In other words, I, I agree with you also. Consequentialism isn't everything, but certainly, you know, I'm, I'm not sure we can, you know, completely reject it. Like, like you were saying, even your argument has elements of, of consequentialism. Well, I completely, re re I completely reject the notion that it's possible to determine what does the greatest good? I agree to with me, you. That is a oh, lot. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. You just said that given the Nazi scenario, you would lie to the Nazi officer. Yes, very so at good. Least in very that, good. At least in that situation, you have assessed what is the greatest good given that no, situation. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I'm just not doing what You're predicting. Doing. You're predicting. No, no, I'm no. Gonna... I'm not predicting. What, I, what My point is people want more out of morality than what you can get. People want a moral code, right, that – the definition you, people usually associate with morality is what, what they really want from it is they want to be able to determine what's the most good and do the most good thing. I'm saying you can't do that. That doesn't work. Here's what you can do. You can look at a particular action and say this is good and this is bad. You can even say one action is really bad, but you can never assess enough to determine what is the most good. So instead, as Mike pointed out, we have this dilemma. What, Actually, I, what we should do in a particular situation. That is the real issue. We don't always do the moral thing. And morality itself is a dogma. So we, just, we do things for different motives. But we generally try to do a good thing. Mitch, you know, we generally you, try what, to do that. Yeah. Mitch, I think what you're saying is morality is – I'm not sure what you're um, – you want um, explain what you mean when, when you say morality is a dogma. But like before that, I think what you're saying is like, yes, we can't know when we're going to do something, you know, good or when we're making a decision between right and wrong. We can't know what the outcome is going to be. I agree with you completely. So based on that, I think morality is predictive. Morality is the prediction of what we believe is going to um, create the, the greatest outcome. Well, here's where I disagree. I disagree. I don't I don't act based on what will what I predict will have the greatest positive outcome at all. That's not how I act. I look at the action itself and go, is this particular action a very good action or a very bad action? And that's based on what though? But what are you basing that that conclusion on? Based on the quality based on the action itself. The qual so for example, unequivocally for me torture is bad. 
not just well, bad. How about, like but how about like, for example, let's say. Um, so we're torture. going in circles again. You're doing example. No. My whole point is it doesn't matter on the example. The example doesn't matter. Regardless of the example, torture itself is a bad thing, a horrible thing, one of the worst things. Hey, I realize now, come on, Mitch. But the reason Morel torture is bad because it causes pain. <laughs> right. Exactly. That, that's exactly correct because it causes well, pain. Well, what, yeah, what if what if torturing someone not, didn't cause them pain? It made them feel good, and not only that, it cured cancer. Yeah, that wouldn't be torture. It no, wouldn't no, be no. torture anymore. More, more to the point, um, Mitch, in our, in our world, we're very rarely confronted with with a you know a clear right and wrong. It's always like the the greater right. of two goods and the lesser of two evils. So, I, I so, disagree yeah. about the two. That's the problem. You say two. I don't think there's two. I think right, many, we naively however. say there's two, but there's right, an no, no, infinite right. number. All right, don't. I agree with that. All right, so the, great, the, the, the lesser of many and the, 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 the greater of many, whatever. But, so like, you know, you have like the example of the, the, you know, you're torturing somebody, but if you don't torture this person, you know, a million people will be tortured. I mean, like, you know, then you have to weigh. So like, yes. I mean, then, like, certainly it's, uh, torturing this person is not something you want to do because you're inflicting pain, but are you, you know, by torturing this person, are you not doing much more good than if you didn't torture the person? Well, well, well so here's the, here's, I, I don't know, George, I think you, you're, you keep on slipping into consequentialism. I'm, I'm trying to tell you that that's not my viewpoint. I'm not, so but, here, but, but. You say that, but when, when we asked you about like lying to the Nazis, you said you would lie. So I, I can't understand. Right, that. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that's. So let's hit on that. Let's let's talk about that. So why would I lie to the Nazis? So am I? So am I lying to the Nazis because I have determined that to do the most good is to protect the Jewish people who are hiding in the attic. Based no. on what? No, that, that that was uh, rhetorical. I'm not saying is so. That's the question that Joe's that I, that's the um, conclusion that I think Mike and George are coming to. That the reason why I would lie to the Nazis is because that I'm deter that is because I have determined or I'm predicting that I will do overall the most good by protecting those Jewish people in the attic. No, that's not why I would lie to the Nazis. I'm saying that's the issue, right? The whole is ought thing. I have. So, all right. So, why would you lie to the Nazis? Not a, a number of reasons. I might feel guilty. I might feel really guilty. I might feel that it's more. It's more of a personal connection. I might feel, ah, on a personal level, this is too hard for me to bear with. I might be friends with them. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why you do things. Right, I'm saying morality doesn't. I'm saying we want more from morality. Than what we can get. I know, but morality but you... cannot tell you. Well, here's the key point, though. Morality cannot tell you what to do in a particular situation. All morality can do, my framework, my uh, system of morality can do, is allow you to assess what's good and what's bad. And it's inescapable sometimes that you do a bad thing, even a very bad thing. All right, wait. So, like, so you wouldn't you wouldn't lie to the Nazis to save let's say, the, the, the hidden Jews, but you would lie because of some other reason. But my, my point is, like, whatever other no, reason... No, 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 that, that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I would lie. I would no, lie. I know. I but know, I would I know. recognize that I'm doing something immoral. That's all. That's, what I'm, or, or, that's all I'm saying. Um, you're recognizing that you're doing something immoral? It, I wouldn't lie and then say I did a good thing. 
Yeah, but like but I would lie and said I did a bad thing. But right. my understanding of you recognizing that you're doing something immoral comes from your your fundamental premise that lying is wrong. Right. So exactly. like again, so like and, and again, we haven't really explored why lying is wrong. Hey, you know, well, hold on, hold on. There's a, uh, if you if you know deontology, you know that it comes from Immanuel Kant. And what Immanuel Kant had was the categorical imper <clears throat> imperative. And so what he would take things that are bad in most situations and he would universalize them and that's how he would reach his categorical categorical imperative by saying well lying is wrong in most of the cases and therefore he would kind of take that and make it into an axiom as a categorical categorical imperative that it's always wrong is that what you do mitch do you do the same essential uh, logical reasoning that kant did clearly i this is a unique framework inspired by other ideas but like i said before this deontology is a huge umbrella consequentialism is a huge umbrella there's so many different subdivisions that it goes into as you said before mike and sometimes surprisingly strange positions can be compatible within certain frameworks my basis for morality is very simple pain and suffering bad. Move in that direction, bad. Move away from it, good. Secondly, you can assess whether particular events are good and bad. You can even give a rough assessment on the degree of how bad it is, but you can never count all the variables. Furthermore, there are many situations, perhaps in every situation, where you have a moral dilemma, and you can do any number of good things or bad things that all have different degrees of goodness and badness. But how you actually act is not really dependent upon morality. It's something else. Like you said, it's about meta-ethics. It's about how do I choose the tool in my toolbox? So that, so that, is, the, that is the real issue. I'm saying morality is a dogma in that you don't really have a good, you don't have good reasons for why you do what you do. At some point, you just say, you just declare, this is what it is. And well, I how, think people, we ask for too much from morality. We need to ask way, less from morality. All right. Aristotle made the statement yeah. that happiness is the only end in life. Everything else is a means. You know, so like, you know, lying, telling the truth, being moral, being... So like, wouldn't, wouldn't your criteria for doing anything, you know, be based on that understanding that... No. Or give me an example of, of, of a decision you would make that, um, in other words, like, if you... But again, my moral system doesn't tell you what to do when you have... It doesn't tell you what to do. It just tells you what's good or bad, but it doesn't tell you what to do. That's the point. I'm not telling... I know morality that does do. tell me what to do. Huh? Say it again? I want a morality that does tell me what to do. do you, so if, but there's the problem. If you have a moral system that tells you what to do, or you think is telling you what to do. The issue you're going to have is sometimes really, really bad things are going to be justified. And you know they're really, really bad things, but they're consistent with your moral framework. It's inescapable. It's just, it's, it would be illogical to say otherwise. For example, the consequentialist sometimes justifies horrific torture. The virtue, the person who is a proponent of virtue ethics sometimes justifies horrible acts because the character of the person who did the act 
is generally good. My framework says no matter what, torture is bad. If you want to know what to do, that's different. But here's what you will know. You will know what is good and what is bad. The well, way you act is up to you. Right? Your framework then is not a normative framework. Because normative ethics is what you should do. I never claimed it was. Okay. So is it a meta-ethical framework? I, it seems to be, doesn't it? I don't think it's a meta-ethical framework because I think it's still an open question as how to pick the tool. What I'm doing is I'm, giving a, I'm arguing for a weaker version of morality is really what I'm arguing for. I'm really saying morality, from my perspective, only allows you to assess good actions from bad actions and perhaps the severity of how good or how bad something is. But you can't, you can't assess all the variables. So even if you can say this thing is better than, if you, even if you say A is better than B, you need to have all the variables on the table to really do the best thing. Hey, uh, and I do not offer that. mentioned that we just passed 57 minutes, and so I think we need to find a way to bring this episode to some sort of a close um, soon here. But this has been very interesting, and we'll definitely want to explore this more in the future. Um, perhaps in a future one, I'll, I'll talk about more why I'm more of a consequentialist or something. Um, I, yeah, I think we, we need to explore this in more detail. Like, basically, the distinction between morality, um, you know, fundamental morality, and the morality that's, that's structured on, you know, what do we do? You know, what do we actually do? Um, because I think both have, have fundamental premises. Um, yeah, we got to, and, and maybe, maybe it's good to, like, you know, explore this dividing the two, you know, just like, just um, focusing on one or the other, you know, next, uh, when we revisit this. And perhaps we can find a mix of deontology and consequentialism that somehow works and we can come up with a new word for it. <laughs> well, that we need a new word. Cause like, like what Mike was saying, this toolbox approach, you know, again, like I posited, you know, the hedonic um, criteria, the intent criteria, the consequentialist criteria there may be another you know if you have like a certain set of criteria then you give it a name and you define it and all of a sudden it becomes an alternate position you know beside the three traditional ones yeah if we invented a new moral uh, toolbox and had a name for it who knows maybe it would make a better world that's just a thought anyway but um, yeah but since we're we're approaching our 59th minute, um, perhaps I should end this one? Sure. Okay. You've been listening to Impersonal Opinion with Chandler Klebs, George Ortega, Mitch J., Michael Walsh, and David Joseph. And uh, Mitch has been talking to us about deontology and some of his ideas about morality that are very different from what I've heard before and definitely worth discussing in future episodes. And I'm sure anybody listening to this has our own, has their thoughts on it too. So send us your questions or comments and thank you for listening and goodbye.